This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Hey, Mike Trout has a homer, 2-0 now for the American League, leading the National League Major League Baseball All-Star Game. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. It is Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630 Chat. I'm pleased to be joined in studio by Mark Pesek, Sherwood Park native, playing for the Florida Panthers. Uh, you're up to 289 NHL games. You're still chasing that first playoff game. Oh, man, you were so close <laughs> yeah. this year, weren't you guys? Yeah, I think somebody said we were the first team since... Maybe the second team ever that had 96 points and didn't make yeah, the playoffs. Yeah, Boston had a year that had 96 and didn't get in. Yeah. What what was going I mean, I gave the I gave the record. You were 19-22-6 and six at the All-Star break. Like, not good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you could have been like, ah, we'll mail it. Not, I mean, I know you don't sit there and mail it in, but, you know, teams have different yeah. attitudes and different levels of determination. Uh, you went 24-8-2 after the All-Star break. I mean, the simple question is, what happened? Can you put it into words? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what really happened. I think we just... You know, kind of stuck with it with uh, the new coach Boogie there, and um, things just started going well. And we we didn't change too much. You know, we believed right from the start that we were a good team and we could do it. But uh, once we were in kind of a hole like that, I think we you know could could have went one of two ways. We could have just gripped our sticks and could have made it worse. But we went on a couple runs of you know three, four, five wins in a row, and uh, the mood quickly quickly rose up and. Uh, we just kind of rode the emotion and uh, rode the momentum and, you know, everything. We'd be going into third periods, like, down a goal, down two goals, and nobody would be panicking. We'd be loose in the room, and it was it was so much fun to play like that. And uh, it just kind of snowballed from there. And, you know, the whole time we, we were talking to family, talking to everybody, oh, like, do you think you'll be in the playoffs? And I, I bet everybody on the team was like, yeah, for sure. Like, And we were still six points out or whatever, and everybody, yeah. Oh yeah, we'll be in. Like no worries. And then uh, I think we're chasing New Jersey and Columbus, and those teams just couldn't lose either. So we just, just, just one point we're out. But it was, yeah. it was fun. And you won your last five of the year too. Yeah. You had five games in April. You won it all. And I know the schedule was tough for you guys because you had to play Boston three of your last six games. I think one was the makeup of the yeah the Blizzard yeah. game that was yeah. snowed out or whatever. Yeah. So you had Boston three times in your final six games. You lost the first time you played them, and then you still beat them the last two times. But And they were really good, obviously. But you guys, it was incredible how it turned around. And I love that you brought up sort of that feeling of confidence. And Rob Brown, who I do the, the overtime open line show with, he uses the word belief all yeah. the time. And, and I know as a pro athlete, and ever well, even before you were a pro, probably since you were a four-year-old kid, every game you played, you thought you were going to win. Yeah. But there's still sometimes that extra, like, little... Like, how would you describe it to someone who... 
uh, you know, maybe can't understand it or who hasn't played pro? Like, wh- what do you feel that kicks in? What gets it started? Oh, yeah, it's a good question. I, it's tough to put it into words, I guess. But, um, you know, when things aren't going well, you just anything that bounces around the net just seems to find the other team's stick, goes right in. And uh, when things are going right, you're just you're not really worried. You're not really stressed. You're not really thinking too much you're just going out and playing and having a lot of fun with uh you know your teammates and they're all doing the same and um you know when something does happen that's bad bad bounce or something you kind of laugh it off and shake it off and you just keep going and uh that's obviously when you have the most fun and it's crazy how teams are so close that a lot of the time that belief is a huge part of the game or that confidence if you're going in you know feeling like you're going to win and walk all over the other team chances are you're going to do a good job of doing that so so much of it is is how you react when something doesn't go your way yeah right i mean especially a sport like hockey where like i always say a guy wins 51 percent of his face-offs he's a genius he wins 49 he's like the worst face (laughs) fans want him never to take a face so if you did hockey you you accept i mean how, how many times in a hockey game mark do you think well that worked out perfectly like yeah. a breakout pass or yeah. defense like virtually no, never yeah it's a you know it's a game of mistakes so you could you could go through every game and find you know however many mistakes and dwell on those but it's how your teammates help you up from when you turn a puck over or how somebody back checks and saves you or goalie stops big one and um it is it both teams are going to make a ton of mistakes every game so it's just you know how you react to those uh roberto luongo Still, still going. Uh, yeah. He's, he, I mean, he's. Uh, I think a lot of people know him for his Twitter account, <laughs> as yeah, much as his goaltending now. But uh, what, what, what's he like? Because he does sort of the the goofball thing on uh, on Twitter. What's he like as a as a guy and as a teammate? Uh, he's pretty. Uh, he's pretty well the same. You know, on practice days, he jokes around. He likes to laugh and have fun. But uh, when he's in the net in the game, it's uh, I think a, f- a switch flips and. He's all business, and he's doing everything to win. He's a pretty, uh, you know, fierce competitor that way. But uh, it's good to see the side, uh, the funny side of him, and that's I think pretty good for uh, you know the fans to see as well. But what, that was him that made that diving uh, stick save on Slepeshev. I want to say, wasn't it? When you guys played, <laughs> I'm trying to think which one that was. But uh, we had an incredible season. Uh, some young players on the Panthers. I mean, I enjoy watching Barkov. I mean, who are some guys where you think like, oh yeah, this guy's really helping us here? Yeah, absolutely. Barkov, I think is um, as good as he is, and as good as everybody thinks he is. I think he's still a little bit underrated, uh, just based on the fact that you know he's kind of down in Florida, hidden. So. Um, if a guy like that was in Toronto or Edmonton, it would be uh, he would be you know a major megastar. He's pretty special with the puck, and he works works hard. He's a good good kid. You know, he doesn't do anything. Good good kid. I mean, he's a good guy. He's <laughs> right. probably what you're not that, but he's a good great guy off the ice. Uh, you know, Trocheck, uh, Bukestad. You go down the list. There's guys that um, you know are younger than I am, which is uh, getting a little bit up there, but. Um, you know, they do crazy things with the puck and crazy things every single game that we kind of look at each other on the bench like, oh, like this is, that's, that's impressive. And they do it day in, day out. And, um, you know, when things are rolling, they get a little bit more confidence, even more fun for us to watch and be a part of that. Florida Panthers defenseman Mark Pesic joining us in studio. So uh, you're, you've been with the Panthers two years. We've talked a bit about 17-18, late run of the playoffs, just falls short. 
the previous year was interesting, yeah. wasn't it, Mark? Yeah. So uh, you had this coach. His name's Gerard Gallant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some people with the Florida Panthers decided he wasn't good enough to coach your team. Uh, then he coached, the, I don't know if you heard of them, uh, you would have played them a couple, this new team. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. Yeah. He takes them to the Stanley Cup final and wins Coach of the Year. Look, uh, you, you you went through that. I mean, Tom Rowe came in. There was this perception that the Panthers were going this heavy analytics route, and it was all going to be things done differently. Uh, you, you were there. What what was it like with that coaching change? And and was the this was there some kind of a drastic change to the approach that? that maybe we were led to believe? Um, I don't think there was too much of a drastic change. I think the the fact that we did start off quite poorly that year uh, when Gerard was coaching uh, definitely didn't help his case. And, um, you know, whenever there's a decision up for management, there could be, there could be many reasons. And, um, you know, I think, like I said, the, the start that we had definitely contributed to that. And then, uh, when Tom Rowe came in, it was a little bit of a shock. Uh, just that's the first time. Okay, uh, so let me ask you: would, would you say his methods? <laughs> w- would you say his methods were drastically different than a Gerard Gallant, or maybe? And and not that he, he, not that he's a younger guy, but was he some doing things like drastically different than Gerard or other coaches would have? Tom Rowe, you mean? Yeah. No, there was not that that big of a difference. Um, I think there was. A little bit of different uh where it's tough to put into words you just kind of get a different feel from different coaches mm-hmm. uh he was a little bit more intense um uh, a little bit more emotional on the bench and in practice a little bit uh yeah i guess the word is intense where Gerard mm-hmm. is a little bit more uh relaxed kind of let you do your thing and if something needs to be said he'll say it um so that was probably the biggest thing just personality wise from those two but there, uh, what was it? Because look, you know this whole and like I think that some of the like, hey, I, I cover sports. I yeah. I, I like stats. Uh, numbers don't always translate very well on the radio, so I don't talk heavy analytics on the show. Were were they, were analytics more in the forefront communicated to players when Rowe took over? Uh, it was kind of one of those things that you knew that they were trying to go that way, the analytics route, and you could, you kind of got that feeling, but there was no real change in style of play Mm -hmm. to a more statistically advantageous play or anything like that but um, I think that could have played a part where um, you know Gerard might be a little bit more old school in the fact that he just you know likes to let the players play a little bit more and Tom Rowe was a little bit more uh, I guess structured in every single zone and wanted guys to do more certain things I think that would be probably the the biggest and probably one of the main one main differences. Right. So it wasn't like Mark, you clear it fifty three percent of the time when your right skate <laughs> yeah. is on the icing line, but seventy five percent when it's on yeah, the bottom no, of the it was, circle. Was, nothing was like, quite nothing like, like that. I was, think it, quite like that. No, I think if anything like that <laughs> to be happening, I don't think it would trickle down to the players. <laughs> right. I don't think so. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Mark Pesic from the Florida Panthers is joining us in studio. He's going to stay to the bottom of the hour. Uh, second NHL defenseman we've had in studio this month. Colton Preco joined us a couple of weeks ago. If you have a question for Mark, uh, here's your chance to ask an NHL or a question. You can text 63630. I'll keep grilling them as well. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chet. (laughs)
your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. All right, good to have you along for the ride tonight. Mark Pesek is in studio, former, uh, how many years were you captain of the Oil Kings? One year or two years? Two years, I think. Two years. Uh, WHL champion back in 2012. Played in the uh, AHL for the Rochester Americans before joining the Buffalo Sabres. Buffalo then traded him to uh, Florida in the summer of 2016, last two years with the Panther. You haven't missed a game as a Panther. It's a nice little run. Yeah, it's been good. There's a couple times maybe I uh, could have got healthy scratched after a couple bad ones, but thank God I uh, you know, <laughs> kept in the lineup, so it was good. Able to hang in there. Uh, 17 points two years ago, 16 this past season. Uh, what are you thinking with your own game? Uh, like, do you feel you're kind of settled into who you are, or, or what kind of things would you like to, where would you like to grow if you can? Uh, I think a little bit more offense. Um, you know, coming to the new team, try to lock it down defensively, be solid first, and then uh, I think it's something that always coaches have been kind of harping on me to do is jump up in the play a little bit more and get a little bit more involved. So uh, if I can do that, then that'd be definitely something I want to work on. All right, we were talking about the weather in, in Florida. The The Panthers actually play in Sunrise. I, I went to the draft in 2015 when the Oilers had the McDavid pick. So the way I remember it is you got Miami, big city, mm-hmm. Fort Lauderdale straight up the coast. That's where we stayed. And then Sunrise, a little more inland from Fort Lauderdale. So yeah. did you, do you, do you, a lot of the guys live in Sunrise? I know there's um, a lot of communities around there. We have probably 10 guys, 8 or 10 guys that live in Fort Lauderdale. Okay. Um, so it's everybody's pretty close there. And uh, a couple guys have boats that we can go out on off days. And um yeah, it's pretty cool being <laughs> being down there in Fort Lauderdale. And all right, look, I got to ask you though, like the stands aren't full every game. It yeah. doesn't look like it. Uh, is that like is that tough? Do you like do you do you think about that? Like, well, where are the people? <laughs> Basically, <laughs> yeah. I mean, hockey's not number one, and that's a reality in in other markets too. But you know, some some teams still get better attendance where hockey is at number one. What like how does that? affect the players if at all uh, i don't think it affects us too much um but i definitely think when we were on that run at the end of the year and we started winning and you kind of feel a buzz around well we obviously live in Fort Lauderdale, so there's a little bit of buzz there and you could see the fans or the stands getting a little bit more full and um you know it's tough to it's tough to expect to come to uh building full of fans when you're not doing very well like you said before the all-star break and mm-hmm. uh there's so much to do and a city like Miami or Florida or uh, Fort Lauderdale sorry that uh, if you're not if you're not winning games and putting streaks together then you know they're they're going to do something else so I think that definitely if we get a better start then I think uh, it's definitely growing in uh, South Florida you can feel the passion when we're winning and uh, it's fun to play there when when things are going well and uh, you know the fans do stick with us when we're not doing so well but uh, it's definitely a lot of fun when we do uh, get a little runs going. Do you get recognized in public? Uh, not me, no. No. I don't <laughs> You're so no. modest, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> what is the, uh, I, I mean, I'm kind of a self-serving question. I don't know how many people would actually be interested in this. What's the media cover? Like, because when we do Oilers practices, there's like, if you count everybody, print, radio, TV, camera people, Web people like there's you know, in any given day there's twenty to thirty media people waiting to go into the Esco the uh, Oilers room after mm-hmm. after a practice, uh, like 
who who's covering you guys? Yeah, I'd say we have uh, six or seven people in the room, like or six or seven different media outlets that are coming in after practice just to see. And it's the same thing. Some are TV. Some are just a one-time thing. Some are the you know the nightly news doing a story on Barkov after shootout goal or stuff like right. that. But you know, on average, it's yeah seven or eight. You know. It's, pretty good i think it's growing it's definitely growing in south florida and it's fun to be a part of that growth all right uh mark pesic from the florida panthers joining us here on uh on inside sports so uh you, you play in the east so you i mean you've only played mcdavid four times uh so you you might have an east player for this and and look there's only 14 people listening tonight that's my loyal <laughs> listenership who 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 are a couple guys that really give you fits or have a skill set that you know is is difficult or maybe they're a little more unpredictable shifty whatever yeah um i i think they're in the west but uh nathan mckinnon oh, okay. every time we play him he's just i don't know the one time we played him he just dominated me for three straight periods and every time i thought i had him spin around me and oh, i'll just catch him like just meet him at the net and he was there 15 seconds before I was it felt like you know he's just so quick and strong and uh he's definitely one of those that I always whenever anybody asks me that question and the other one I like could be a pretty obvious one is Malkin uh sure. obviously Crosby is uh Sidney Crosby so you know you're aware when he's out there but I don't usually play against him too much but Malkin is just big strong and uh you know run right through you and just go right around you if he needs to he's definitely a tough one to play against right well those are obviously guys that are pretty tough i mean you've been in the league long enough now people always talk about the speed of the game pace of the game maybe it's both but i'll ask you this way is it is it the speed of the players well let me put it this way how how much of it is just the physical speed of the players and how much of it is the emphasis on like getting the puck up ice so quickly you know, if it's a two-line pass, yeah. you can whip it up there, chip it into the other team's end and all that stuff. I think the speed of the players definitely is what starts that. Because mm-hmm. um, it wouldn't be – you wouldn't be able to pass it to a guy if he wasn't fast and blown by the defenders. But I think there's guys that can just absolutely fly and they make it look so effortless. Like, obviously, starting here in Edmonton, McDavid, he, and he's always moving and he's always going full speed. And, uh, you know, I'm sure guys were – have always been fast but the way that he and Crosby and Malcolm these guys the way they can skate that fast and still make a move around you is it's just it's so impressive and it's a little bit scary sometimes when you know somebody if you're flat-footed and a guy's coming full speed you know he's gonna control the puck just like he's standing still and that's I think that's probably I think it's got to be the speed of the players that just brings up everything uh, Mark, we're, we're winding down here. Uh, give a shout out to uh, your minor hockey program and uh, any coach oh, yeah. if you'd like to. Uh, Strathcona Warriors, for the most <laughs> part. But uh, Dave Morrow, actually Joe Morrow in Winnipeg, his dad was a uh, big influence on me. It's good having him. For young hockey players listening, they want to do the best they can with their hockey career. Hopefully, make the NHL or the highest level possible. What's What's your advice to those uh, you know, you 13, 14 year olds? Yeah, <laughs> just have fun. Like people always ask me if it's a job yet, because I've always been the kind of guy that's you know had fun with anything that I do, and uh, it's not quite a job yet. Obviously, there's days that suck, and you know, be a bad game or whatever. But I mean, you're playing a game. It's gonna be It's gonna be tough. Early mornings, whatever. But 
it still should be fun all the time. And uh, if you're having fun, it's not gonna feel like you're working too hard. Mark, thanks for coming in. It, it's it's great to see you. Uh, you know, glad things uh, were interesting with the Panthers. Obviously, the yeah. last couple of years, you guys really put it together. So hope you keep rolling that uh, into the new season. Really appreciate your time, Matt. Thanks very much for having me. Mark Pasek from the Florida Panthers in studio here on Inside Sports. Hey, we got another guy waiting to come in. One of the all-time greats at the University of Alberta, now a coach with the Golden Bears basketball team, Jordan Baker. Inside Sports on Chet. Appreciate you tuning in tonight. Great to have Mark Pesic in studio, defenseman for the Florida Panthers. Earlier tonight, we had the Canadian agent for Terrell Owens explaining what's going on with the negotiation uh, window here with the Edmonton Eskimos. The Eskimos have not offered him a contract. I- I'm skeptical that they will, but we'll uh, keep an eye on that. Eskimos on a bye. They play next Thursday in Montreal. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Uh, you can text 630-630, top of the fourth, pardon me, bottom of the fourth, American League leading the National League 2-1 in the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. I'm pleased to welcome back to the show assistant coach with the Golden Bears basketball team, uh, one of the all-time great athletes in the history of the U of A. It is Jordan Baker. Hello, Jordan. Reed, how you doing? I'm doing great. Don't get all uncomfortable when I call you that. Yes, <laughs> you were a five-year starter. You're the leading scorer in the history of Bears basketball. Uh, you're the leading rebounder in the history of Bears basketball. You're probably the leader in minutes played. Yeah. Did you crack the assists? Yes. Uh, did you crack the blocks? No. No, I didn't. I was. So you no. got points, rebounds, assists, steals, and steals. Yeah. I played a lot of minutes though, so I. Uh, well, but you I took advantage. Hey, if you're starting from your rookie game, you've yeah. earned, you've earned it. But you you could have played volleyball too, right? Um, there was some interest, but I mean, we, being myself and my parents, shut that down pretty quick. It was going to be basketball post secondary. Because <laughs> so. if you don't know, uh, your mom used to coach the pandas, and you, was yep. your dad the previous leading scorer at one point? Um, well, you th- beat one of his records. He had um, a field goal attempts record, I think it was. That <laughs> oh, I he just he just shot from he anywhere. Just, yeah, he so just put that thing up. It wasn't much of a <laughs> Doug. No. If you're listening. They didn't go in, did they? No, he had he uh, he only played three seasons, so he had some scoring records, but, but they were uh, cut a little bit short because he only was three years with the Bears. So he'd be disappointed if I didn't give him a hard time. I was <laughs> not here though. Uh, <laughs> Jordan, thanks for dropping by. Uh, we talked to you a couple weeks ago, not not on the show, but you helped connect me with Kelly Olynyk. Uh, so thanks a lot for doing that. Uh, he plays for uh, the Heat now. He was Celtics. He was Heat. Or not now he's with the Heat. I uh, talked to him about LeBron. What what was it like getting him to come to the camp? Uh, I mean, I've been going out to his camp um, in Kamloops that he runs every year for the last uh, three years. So, um, you know, I asked him, you know, why don't you ever come out to Edmonton for my camp? And he said, well, he never asked me. So this year I decided <laughs> to ask him. 
Um, he came out and was great for the kids. I mean, he's not one of those guys who just stands around, signs a couple autographs, takes a couple of pictures, and then he's out. You know, he's on the floor working. He's working up a sweat with the kids. He's, uh, you know, coaching, teaching, sharing his knowledge and experience. So um, that's something that's really special when you got an NBA player who's willing to come and do that for you. So. But what were the ages of the kids you had? Uh, we had junior high and high school age kids. So oldest was we had a couple of kids going into grade 12 next year, um, and then youngest we had a couple going into grade 7. So. How did they react to a seven-foot NBA player? <laughs> I mean, it was it was interesting because he kind of came in the middle of the first session, so everyone was was already warmed up and ready to go and doing a couple drills, and he jumped in right away, and they didn't really have time to be starstruck or anything like that, so he just flowed in naturally as a coach, and then you know we had a little time where he could do pictures and autographs and things like that, and I think the kids really appreciated it. So, and you know him from what when you guys were even junior high athletes, like provincial teams, and uh, how far been, back does that go? We played uh, under 15 provincial teams against each other. Obviously, him playing for Team BC, um, and then we played the next two years as well against each other in provincial team, and then we played together junior national team and a bunch of national team stuff in the summers for you know four or five years straight. So. Got to know each other pretty well, and his parents and my parents um, knew each other back from their days in Lethbridge as well. So. Oh wow! Yeah. Now, when you were when you were playing against him in your early teens mm-hmm. on junior provincial teams, mm-hmm. did you even think like was he the best player on BC, or had he already emerged? Or um, did that come later by by under seventeen, by the second year of under seventeen, um, he was the best guy. I mean, he grew six inches one summer, so. <laughs> Before then, before then, he was kind of a awkward, slow, and then he was awkward and slow, but seven inches taller than everyone else. So um, he was he was pretty damn good in, in the U17, um, and then that was the year before he went out to uh, to NIDA, which is the National League Development Academy that existed in Hamilton in 2009, and then obviously he went on to Gonzaga and did great things there. So um, he was pretty damn good at the U17 level, yes. Right. All right. So that was awesome. And now you're going to his camp right away? Yeah, I'm leaving uh, to go to there. It's the last last weekend, kind of first weekend of July and August there. So, I, I, I'm curious because, I mean, it, it, it's got to start somewhere for all for all the young athletes. You played, you know, Kelly's in the NBA. You 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 played at a high level. You were with the national program. You're one of the best university players in the country. And then you're working with these kids, like you said, grades seven to twelve, who. Are, I mean, you could have kids who are all-stars in their Edmonton school, and you could have kids who are, you know, learning. Or, like, how, how do you try to have a camp that's for everybody? Like, how do you get, get through to everybody and, and so everybody can develop over that short period of time? Yeah, I mean, the first day we do a lot of skills, um, and it's Baker Elite Clinic, mm-hmm. um, and Elite is used in a little bit of a different term. We're not looking for elite kids necessarily, but we're going to introduce everyone who shows up to elite training methods. So we're not just going to go play, you know, dribble relays and play tag and things like that. It's not that kind of camp. Um, we're working on skills. We're focused on higher level things, um, next level reads. So we do a lot of skills the first night, kind of evaluate where we're at. And then when we do the more competing, you know, second day two, day three, day four, uh, we split them into groups where they can, you know, have some success and be competitive, um, so that we, you know, we make sure everyone has a positive experience, but also learns a, a lot about, you know, the game of basketball. What What was it for you like in the sun? I mean, I mentioned you played volleyball. Mm-hmm. Um, were you like an all-round type of guy? Like, did you like to participate in every sport, or like, what if you were going to a camp in the summer? Would it be 
one weekend this, one weekend that, or, or how did you develop as a kid? Uh, yeah, in the summers, you know, I was a big, um, my parents were big on the late specialization. So obviously I played basketball during basketball season, but I also played volleyball, played soccer um, growing up. So in the summertime, it was kind of one week of soccer camp, one week of basketball camp, one week of volleyball camp. Right. Um, just like my parents, I think, could just get rid of me for a week. That was probably <laughs> what they were looking to do. So I was out of the house a lot, always in summer camps at U of A, um, just being super active and doing that cross-training type of thing. Now, would you recommend that to, to parents now? Until, like the late special, by late specialization, what what are they talking? Their high school or just before university? Yeah, I mean, I played volleyball at, at the high school level and even at the club level all through high school. So I think a lot of people are now thinking, oh, okay, I'm in grade eight. I can only focus on basketball and I play club basketball in the summers and I go to only basketball camps and then... Mm-hmm. In the fall, I work and do basketball training, and then when basketball season starts, that's what I'm doing. And it's just a lot of basketball, and people tend to get burned out, especially at that young age. So late specialization means, you know, by the time you're in grade 11 or grade 12, now you can really focus on what you want to do. And it's not to say you can't play basketball year-round. It's just you got to sprinkle in some variety, do some different things so you can just kind of let your body and mind recharge a little bit. Right. Jordan Baker joining us uh, in studio, assistant coach for the U of A Golden Bears, former player for the team, talking about the Baker Elite Clinic that he had a couple of weekends ago at Harry Lee, and that was your high school, right? It was. How yeah. many did you win provincials there? Like uh, We year? didn't, no. Um, you never won a provincial couple title? couple of city championships. Wow. Um, but yeah, we had a, a couple of mishaps happen in the provincials, so we finished fourth twice. That was our best finishes. Broke yeah. my hand one year, so that was a tough one for us as well so uh how have you enjoyed the transition to more coaching it's been really good i mean there was a couple guys that i had actually played with um they were in their rookie season when i was in my fifth year with the bears so they were just on their way out they were our seniors this year and you know i was kind of worried about how they were going to react to me now as being an assistant coach instead of a player but they did a great job in terms of being very receptive and open to to things that i was suggesting and, and, and teaching them and um, you know, I think we had a, a great relationship, and that boiled over into the other guys on the team, and they really were, were open and receptive to, to things I had to say. Uh, well, I mean, it's got to help to have a, a recent player come back and, and still be with the program. You're, where are you playing now? Are you, like, you're still in good shape, obviously. Uh, I'm doing a little bit of the, the 3x3 good. thing that's going on. That's really caught on. Um, yeah, I mean, I would be going to Saskatoon this weekend if I didn't have a bum thumb, so... Um, sitting this one out, but playing a little bit of 3x3 this year, um, trying to stay active with the Bears because we don't have a ton of local guys, so trying to make sure our summer runs um, have some quality, so I'm jumping in there trying to do what I can to keep our guys in shape. You, you were playing pro, what was it, the jaw injury in Japan? Kind of derailed yeah. that? Yeah, took an elbow and had to have surgery and wired shut for six weeks. I, I know I talked stuff, about so. this before, but you posted the, the x-ray of your jaw. Yeah. Didn't... I'm no doctor, but that didn't look good. No, I, I mean, there was a pretty pretty significant language barrier over there, and, you know, regardless of what language you're speaking, you look at that picture and you know it's bad news. So uh, it was it was broken pretty good, so six weeks wired, and then I decided, you know, to transition and start coaching because at the end of the day I want to be a, a head coach at the U Sports level at some, at some point down the road. Did you get a concussion from that? I didn't, actually, oddly enough. Of all the times I've been hit in the head and got concussed, <laughs> that wasn't one of them. So. Uh, all right. Uh, so your, your goal is to so you want to be a head co- a university head coach? Mm-hmm. Does Barnaby know that? <laughs> yeah, I think he's uh, he is very excited about the possibility of having someone who's serious about coaching on the staff um, and to do some like serious mentoring. I think he's been you know very 
open and receptive to all the questions and things that I'm trying to do and ask. And so, you know, I, I can't think of anyone better to uh, to learn under for my first few years. Do you ever find yourself uh, as a coach or, or a leader in one of your camps doing things that annoyed you as a player, but now as a coach you understand why, why you have to do that? Yeah, I mean, as a player, you're very narrow-minded and it's all about what you're feeling and how you're doing. And as a coach, you see a lot more big picture and things you got to work on and things you got to handle and deal with. And so... Um, absolutely, there's things that I was frustrated with as a player, you know, especially with Barnaby that I now see, and I'm like, that makes total sense. And, you know, I mean, even just to communicate it to the guys now, just to open their eyes a little bit and have them thinking more like coaches on the floor would, would probably help a little bit. But, yeah, no, for sure it's a... It's a big transition for for me. But like you said, it's hard to do that as a player. Or, uh, you know, the coach can drop the play, but once the player's out there, coach maybe doesn't understand the, the hand-checking that's happening. Or Yeah, I mean, as a player, you're, there's so many things going on, and as a coach, you've kind of got to try to corral all that and put it into where do I focus my efforts, how do I make corrections, what do I do matchup-wise, and there's only a very select number of things you can focus on, and you try to manage your time effectively and, and react to how the game's going. You know, ba- basketball is an interesting game. Uh, I, I think at the... I mean, you'll correct. Well, you might have a different opinion. At the American college level, well, I think this is, I'm going to make an obvious statement. There are several coaches who are synonymous with their schools, who are the, like, Krzyzewski is the Duke basketball. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know some guys have fallen on, you know, Patino's had his controversies and all that stuff. But when he's been at a school, he's, like, larger than the program itself. I don't think U Sports is going to have that. Um, But why is it... Is it is it just the way you can diagram a play? Is it uh, that the fact that there are fewer guys on a team? Why is it that you know there's a thing about that the a basketball coach can really out scheme the other guy? That he can really have that system that that is is going to topple everybody. I mean, I think it comes with with preparation and practice. And if you're prepared to, you know, defend a ball screen four or five different ways and you've drilled it and you've repeated it and you've made sure all your guys understand are on the same page and then when it comes to the game and that ball screen comes up and ways one two and three don't work and now you're able to go to that fourth way and guys are still comfortable to guard it that way and you're prepared and you're you know everyone's bought in i think that that speaks volumes to the coach and the program so a lot of it goes behind the scenes and then in the game it's a quick adjustment and as long as guys are prepared then you're going to have some success. Well, and I guess that gets back to what you said, if you can get the players thinking like coaches, mm-hmm. where they instantly recognize, okay, we can't use our three favorite options, but, oh, we got four in our back pocket. Right. If they're all on the same page, it, it just clicks like that. Jordan Baker is in studio. We'll take a quick timeout at 747 Inside Sports on Chet. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. It's 7.50, been a fun show. We talked a little bit about Terrell Owens and the Eskimo possibility. Mark Pesic from the Florida Panthers was in studio, and Jordan Baker joining us now. He's been talking about his uh, elite clinic he had a couple of weekends ago, his career with the U of A Golden Bears. He's uh, now been an assistant coach two years, right? last two years as the assistant? Uh, just last year. Just last year as the assistant yeah. coach. Well, I meant it's two years. I meant that this is the second year coming up. That's what I was talking about. Uh, and... <laughs> And uh, you're going to Kelly Linux clinic uh, next weekend, so that's going to be cool. Uh, you've, you've obviously uh, watched a lot of the NBA this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so Raptors, like, what what happened? 
I mean, I don't know about the Dwayne Casey move. Like, that's a big... I mean, especially now with LeBron out of the East, it's going to be interesting to see how they do. But, I mean, Dwayne Casey did a great job in the regular season. Like, he got NBA players to play hard for 82 games. Right. And that doesn't happen a lot of the time. Like, you know, you see a mid-February game and no one is doing anything on yeah. the floor. Like, you know, you got isolation basketball for 48 minutes. And the Raptors played hard and played team basketball for the whole season. It's just now you get into the playoffs and it's a seven-game series against a team that has the opportunity to scout and prepare and do all that stuff. And I just don't know if the Raptors have enough offensively to be creative enough over a seven-game series to score the way they need to. Did he take the fall ultimately for allowing LeBron to run down the court and shoot that jumper to win it at the buzzer? Because I know from seeing some of the analysis, oh, you got to be harder on him. Why didn't he have something else drawn up? Like, was that the play that killed him? I mean, you got five professional basketball players on the floor who've been in that situation hundreds of times. Like, it can't... I mean, obviously, you'd like to see something drawn up a little bit more complex, throw a couple bodies at him, make him pass the basketball, but you got guys who need to take it upon themselves as professionals to to handle that scenario and to put a chest in front of them or to double or to make a play and then make a big play in those moments, and it didn't happen. So, you know, it is tough that to see Casey go. I know there's a lot of people who are happy with the move, and there's a lot of people who are upset with the move, and the guy wins the, player, uh, the coach of the year at the end of the season. It's kind of... Uh, an interesting dilemma to <laughs> yeah, see. Yeah, a little, little unusual. Yeah. So uh, LeBron decides to go to the Lakers. So there you go. Lakers get get some. Well, they haven't been good the last four or five years. No, like, and one I'm, year a, they I'm a Lakers fan, so it's been really tough. So you're, now, you're excited, excited about this. Yeah. But I think they needed another, at least another piece. And, I mean, they let Randall walk, and their core is very young. And, I mean, they grabbed Stevenson and Rondo and McGee, but you need another superstar, even a you know, an all-star type guy. To so so you're saying the Lakers aren't better than Golden State? Oh, absolutely not. And especially with DeMarcus Cousins going there. Right. You know, it's going to be uh, it's going to be tough to... to so right now them. you're picking Golden State again? Yeah, I think that's... To win the league. If they stay healthy, it's pretty much... And now who is it away. in the East? I mean, we just, we, or do we assume Cleveland will be terrible or close to terrible? I mean... Or am I selling them short? I think Cleveland may still be a playoff team. Like, they have some decent pieces. Um... I think Sexton's going to be a good player for them as a rookie. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, is Philly ready after finally getting good? I mean, I, they were I think Boston is a team a to beat in the East. Okay, Boston with with Hayward and Kyrie coming back, and they got Stevens. Oh, because Hayward missed the whole year. Yeah, and Kyrie missed you know fifty games and the playoffs. So they've got some young talent over there. Um, they just like they and they did a good job of re-signing some of their free agent role guys as well. So. I think uh, Boston's the team to beat in the East now. Uh, you can text 636-30. Tim says, I've played Jordan at noon ball at the U of A. He's super humble for his insane talent level. Glad to see him in the city still and his talent utilized. That's nice. It's very nice. Uh, uh, this texter says, uh, Reed, I had the most disturbing dream last night. You, me, and Bob Stoffer did a show on the radio with no shirts on. It was horrible. <laughs> That's from Rob. That is a horrific dream. Like, that's... We're moving on. <laughs> Bretsky says, Hi, Reed. I just had a flash of you still working 60 years from now, sounding like Brian Hall more and more every day. Sheesh. That is from Bretsky. If I'm still working 60 years from now, I will be 104 years of age. It's pretty good. <laughs> I'll retire. I'll, re- I'll retire at 102, Bretsky. That's the plan right now. Speaking of LeBron, 
look, and I grew up during the Jordan era, but I, I, I now think LeBron has surpassed Jordan as the greatest of all time. And you're probably one of the few from that era who would say that. I, just because that. he has done so much with so little help. And I, and I know people say, well, Jordan had tougher competition. The NBA has always been a four-team league. It's always whatever four teams are dominant. Uh, and, and I hate to say this because it's, it's splitting hairs, but Jordan did have Pippen. LeBron's never had a Pippen-esque talent alongside. Yeah, well, I mean, when he, I was, guess in Miami, when he was in Miami, you know, yeah. their team was pretty damn good. So it's hard to to say he never had a sidekick like Pippen. But it's uh, I think it's a conversation save for when LeBron is out of the league and he's done. Fair enough. You can judge the entire body of work. Because what Michael, if he wins three in a row or you something? You know, like, yeah. why are we having this conversation now? Because it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like, it's easy now to compare Kobe and Michael because they're both done and you both know, you know, all the cards are on the table. Absolutely. But they always were trying to have this conversation when Kobe was, you know, having that run of 60 plus. Oh, I see. Okay. When you just got to wait until they're done and then you compare the entire body of work. Well, I mean, you were a guy when you played, the other team was Stop Baker. Well, I mean, what was, what was, and here's the thing if you didn't see Jordan play, you were a high scorer. But you weren't a bombs away three. Like a lot of people associate that with a high scorer. You mm-hmm. were get in the paint, rebound, get fouled. Like I called some of your games where it's like, I can't remember one of Jordan's baskets specifically, but he got 25 points and 14 rebounds. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you were, were you a grinder? Is that how you would describe yourself ultimately? I mean, I just tried to find easy ones. Um <laughs> Which you know in the which game of basketball, easy. Which the game of basketball is transition, offensive rebounds, and getting to the foul line. Those are the easy ones where you don't have to create your own offense. You don't have to you know go against help side defenders. You don't have to go one against five. You just find the cracks, get your nose on the ball, score it. And so I guess you could c- consider me a grinder. But that's not. But those aren't to me. Those aren't easy because you're you're drawing contact. Everything you're doing to to score. Yeah, I mean you don't. It doesn't require necessarily that much talent either it's just about <laughs> how hard you want to work how many hits are you willing to take um and so you know i was lucky enough to have great teammates too that when i you know made a good cut to the rim they made sure i got the ball in my hands and was able to finish so um they did a great job of making sure that i touched the basketball enough times and um you know when like you said other teams are trying to stop me when i see two bodies i'm trying to find the open one and we'll find a good shot for the team and then i get on the old glass jordan thanks for coming in appreciate it Fun show tonight. Thanks for listening. Inside Sports on Chad. Ron Kittle's on tomorrow. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.